Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Yeah, good group out here this morning. Great. So I want you to to take the first few moments here this morning and imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that you lived in the Holy Land in the first century. And this carpenter, kind of a nondescript, just from a little nothing town, this carpenter starts teaching and crowds start gathering to listen to him. And then he he starts doing miracles, like he's healing people and he's uh, exercising demons. And so this is going on. And then, then he starts to use language that makes it sound like he is equating himself with God. So he says things like, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Then he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Which, if you weren't shocked by the other ones, you're going to be shocked for sure by that one because, because Jewish people in the first century Holy Land know that God identified himself as I am to Moses. And so here's, here's this human saying, before Abraham was born, I am. Like, that's going to be hard to believe. I mean, I would suspect for most of us living in the first century Holy Land, we're going to have a hard time wrapping our heads around that. It would be kind of like for us today. Now, fast forward to, you know, 2023. When we hear someone say, I am Jesus Christ, I mean, that, that goes around every now and then. We will, we will see somebody kind of pop up and say, I'm, I'm Jesus. When, when you hear of someone saying that, and they're not just saying it to try to gather a crowd, but they, I mean, they really believe I am Jesus Christ. What do you think about that person? Yeah, you think there's a mental illness thing going on there. Scriptures tell us that this fusion of humanity and deity, godness, did happen. It did happen one time, but it, and, and we use a word to refer to that, a theological term uh, called incarnation, to talk about this fusion that a, a human could be also God. That is That can be difficult to believe. Many of us have believed that for, for a while, but some of you may be new here this morning. You may be exploring faith, or you may be new to faith. You may be trying to wrap your head around that. So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about what incarnation is from the Scriptures, how it happened, and then we're going to talk about why, like, so what, if, if it did happen. 
And what we'll discover as we talk about that is that there's some deeply personal meaning for those who believe that it actually happened. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, if you would. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible near you on, on a seat. And we have been studying through the book of Romans this year. And as we come to the end of the year, we're, we're using the first four verses of Romans to springboard us into some other passages of, of Scripture. And so while you're turning there, I just want to highlight there, there are two common errors when talking about Jesus. One is to deny his complete godness. That, that is where most, I would say probably most people land. To say, yeah, Jesus, I mean, maybe they don't even believe that he existed, but I mean, history is, is pretty clear that there was someone named Jesus. But he was just a, he was a good teacher. He was an effective leader, religious leader. He gathered a lot of people. I mean, certainly there's a legacy of that, but he, I mean, he certainly wasn't God. The other error is to deny his humanness. And I would suspect that if most of the people in, in this room are going to land somewhere on an error, that's where we're going to land, is we, we don't have a problem saying Jesus is God, and we, we want to be sure that we hold him up as God, that he is the creator, that he is worthy of being worshipped just as, as God is but when it comes to his humanness, we may struggle with, I mean, did he really like lower himself to our experiences of walking around in this dust, of getting hungry, of having to go to the bathroom? Like, like some of these things just seem really beneath someone who is going to be God and man. So, so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about incarnation. Incarnation joins both of them equally. God and human, and we use the word incarnation. And that, that word is from the Latin, meaning becoming flesh. So we've got something for everybody today. If you're more of a thinker than a feeler, we're going to talk about the what of incarnation and the how. If you're more of a feeler, we're going to talk about the why. And I think the why will probably speak to all of us regardless of where you fall on that continuum. All right, we're going to start in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, we talked about that phrase two weeks ago when we we're talking about the prophecies about Jesus. Verse 3, concerning his son, who was descended from David. So we talked about that phrase last week, the kingly descent of, of Jesus. And then the final phrase here, according to the flesh. He was descended from David according to the flesh. Paul uses the word flesh in a variety of different ways. Most commonly, he uses it to, as kind of a, a synonymous with our sinful nature that our flesh drags us into to doing things that displease God. Here, that's not the meaning. This, here, it's really referring to lineage or, or genealogy. So 
he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Jesus was descended according to the flesh. God, in the second person of the Trinity, took on a human nature. We know that as incarnation. So let me kind of illustrate it this way to try to maybe put it in some terms that we can understand. Obviously, every illustration breaks down, so don't press this too far, but maybe give us a sense. Let's say that you have a family member that you love dearly who is in a terrible car accident. And so they end up in the hospital, and they're in the striker bed, and they've got their foot elevated and the whole nine yards, and they're going to be there like that for a couple of months. And so this just happened. They're going to miss Christmas. They're, they're going to miss being with, with everybody. They're, they're going to miss, you know, grandma's pecan pie, all the whole nine yards. And so they're, they're there in the hospital. Now, what would most, most of us do in that situation? We would go to visit, right? We would show up and we might bring them uh, a poinsettia or something to brighten up their room. Uh, we're going to hang out with them for a while, uh, maybe listen to some Christmas music, try to, to cheer them up. So that's what probably most of us would do. Incarnation might look like in this situation, you, instead of just going to visit, you going to the hospital administrators and saying, you know, there's an extra bed in this room. Could I use that bed? Because I want to be here. My, my friend, my, my relative here is getting so depressed. I, I want to be here for them. And so you go in and you get in that bed and you get your foot elevated and you're entering into their experience and you're staying with them through that whole process of recovery and, and of healing. I mean, that's a little bit of a picture about what Jesus did. He didn't just come to visit. He didn't just kind of from afar, you know, give a call and say, I'm thinking about you. I mean, he entered into our experience. Let's, let's look at how the scripture presents what incarnation is. And there are a lot of scriptures on this, so I just picked a few to highlight. The first is from John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word referring to Jesus took on flesh and dwelt, came to live among us. The second from Colossians 1 just paints a picture of how, how Jesus is God. This is, this is referring to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so I'm pausing here. If we looked at Hebrew scriptures, what we would see over and over again is there is one creator, God. And so this is equating Jesus with that creator, God. Last sentence, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So that is this God, this God creator uh, being. And then Colossians 2.9 says that in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
the whole fullness of deity. This is, this is where it starts to short circuit our brains because we're like, how can that be? How can a God who created the, the universe and created all things just by speaking into existence, how could he even possibly be constrained into a human body? So let me pause here just to say that I, I've, for many, many years, thought that, I've thought about our two major uh, holidays, holy days, uh, for, as, as Christ followers. And so we have, we have Christmas, and then we have resurrection. We have, we have Easter. And I have often thought that I feel like the, the resurrection is so important. Like, I, I felt like it's more important, right? Because it is Jesus' triumph over, over death. And it, it gives us, it makes salvation available to us. So I'm still, I'm not ready to say that they're equal, but I do want to say that the incarnation, I haven't given the incarnation the attention and the, the value that it deserves because the idea, again, of, a, of, a, of, of God, a supreme God constraining himself into a, a human body. And as we will see, in, in order to make a sacrifice. Easter, resurrection, could not have happened if God did not constrain himself to a body in order to be killed. So there's a miracle in, embedded in that. But it's mind-blowing. And it's so mind-blowing that most people dismiss it. And as, as an example here, I will just refer to our neighbor's uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't know which direction that is. It's that, maybe? It's, I think it's that direction. Yeah, okay. So our neighbors, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was the first one created, but, and, and then he created everything else. But that's not what Colossians 1 says. And so what they do in their version of the Bible, we'll show you a screenshot here. This is actually from the, the New World Translation. They have to insert the word other. And so it shows up several times. It actually shows up four times, but we can see it three times here. Um, it says, because by means of him in verse 16, all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth. And, uh, and then going down, all other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things. So interesting uh, opportunity. If, if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness stop by your, your house, I would encourage you to ask them to pull out their Bible and turn to Colossians 1. Because all, you can use their own Bible to say, what what happens if you drop the word other out of this passage? You get Jesus as the creator who is before all things. And that's what the Greek says. They had to insert it. They were at least honest enough to insert it in, in brackets. But that might start a conversation with them. You don't have to be you know, mean or belligerent or I told you so or yeah, look, look what I know. I mean, just take them to their Bible and say, what, what is this? I mean, why, why is this here? And it may plant a question for them to explore what Jesus is really like. So that's what Scripture presents, a brief look 
about the incarnation. Let's talk about how it happened. Paul gets into this deeply in Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So there's the key there. He he emptied himself. He set aside his, his glory, the glory that he had there with the Father, And he said, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to take on the humility of of being in flesh, born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming disobedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And hold that thought because we will come back to it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the ultimate humiliation in going to death on a cross and then the ultimate exaltation in being set above every every name. But notice in the, in the first sentence here, he was in the form of God. And then a few lines down, being found in human form. So, so both Godness and humanness were equally and fully present. Jesus was not like, a, like in Greek mythology where he's half God and half man. He is fully God and fully human. So that's a brief look at the how that happened. He emptied himself. The what, the how, now let's talk about the why. Why would a perfect God in a perfect place humble himself to come to this very messy, very broken planet and with all the limitations of flesh? There's, we could probably name several reasons, probably many reasons. We're just going to highlight two here this morning. And the first is that God became flesh in order to sympathize. In order to sympathize. Some of you are familiar with uh, Dane Ortland. He wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. So I also read uh, an article online by Mr. Ortland um, highlighting how Jesus underwent incarnation in order to sympathize. So I I think sometimes it's hard for us to imagine Jesus with emotions because we know how much our emotions get us into trouble, right? We know how much our our anger can get us into trouble. We know that sometimes our our sympathy doesn't work right. And and Dane Ortland gives the example in his article of encountering a homeless person. And I actually had that experience a few weeks ago. We were in Seattle um, and there was a lot of, of homeless people that we encountered. And I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I know my, my initial reaction when I see a homeless person is to immediately think, how can I kind of veer around them? How can I kind of stay away? How, how can I justify not entering into this probably messy situation. 
and maybe giving them something that's really not gonna, gonna help them. So it's just, I figure, easier to kind of, kind of move on. And, and Dane Ortland relayed a similar kind of, of situation. Um, our emotions are polluted, right, by selfishness and, and, and by sinfulness. Um, but we, we need to remember that emotions themselves are not the result of sin or, or the fall in, in this world. Emotions are a really beautiful gift from God. And so Jesus, we can, we can imagine, we can picture Jesus with unpolluted emotions. And that as he's encountering people, um, he's encountering them with beautiful responses, unfallen emotions. Hopefully that's comforting for for us, especially this, this time of year, as we, as we talked about, I mean, four roses in this, this week, has that's been a lot. You know, a lot of you are, are walking through difficulties. Some of you didn't lose someone this week, but you've lost someone in this year. And so you're coming up to this holiday season and you're, you're experiencing Thanksgiving Christmas without someone that, that you love, that's, that's really difficult. And, and really, maybe it's happened years ago, and it's just coming back to you. It's comforting to know that, that Jesus can sympathize with us in those situations. Let's, let's look at one instance of Jesus sympathizing with someone. This is from Mark chapter 1. A leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling. He said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. This is a really radical Scene because again, if you imagine yourself back in the, the first century, to encounter a, a leper would mean you, you would definitely distance yourself because leprosy was contagious. It would end up eating off the extremities of, of, your, of your body. It was just a, it was a horrible disease. And so there was just a, a medical kind of issue to. to avoid. There's also a religious issue of not, not touching a leper. Don't get anywhere close because you could yourself be unclean. And so Jesus, this is really beautiful because Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid of being polluted by this person. He's not afraid of catching what he has he, he reaches out and he touches him. And don't, don't miss the little phrase that's easy to miss, moved with pity. Because that, that phrase translates the, the Greek word splagnizomai. And splagnizomai, in, in the noun form, it, it really just means your gut or your intestines. So what's happening here is Jesus is being moved in the deepest part of him. When it says moved, that's good. He's moved with sympathy would probably be a better translation. He's being moved with sympathy, not empathy. So Merriam-Webster makes a, a distinction between those two. Sympathy comes from the Greek sim, 
which means together, and pathos, meaning feelings or emotion. And so when you put them together, you have uh, one, one person who shares the feelings of another. I'll just pause there and just say, I, probably most of us have used the word sympathy. So then you know some Greek, right? I mean, it, you know, you didn't know that, but there it is. So sim, you're, you're feeling together, such as when one experiences sadness, when someone close is experiencing grief or loss. So empathy differs from sympathy in that there's an implication of greater emotional distance. So empathy, when, when someone is grieving, let's say, then empathy would say, I see that you're, you're grieving. Um, I, I want to help you, so I'm going to bring you some, some dinner. You know, I'm going to drop that off, or I'm going to bring you some flowers. That, that would be empathy. There's a little bit of emotion. I'm still, I'm kind of staying a little bit at a, at a distance. Sympathy is, is where you enter into and where, and maybe you've experienced this if you've been near a loved one or someone who has been like grieving, weeping, sobbing, and you, you sit with them and, and you cry too. You're, you're moved by what they are dealing with. That's what is going on here for, for Jesus. Jesus, splagnizomai, he's moved to the point that his stomach is, is churning. So if you think of the hospital example, that's where it's like we're, we're entering in. We're not just empathizing. We're not just stopping by and saying, wow, you know, I'm thinking about you. You're, you're, you're entering into the grief and the sadness with someone else. The incarnation allowed Jesus to empathize then and to empathize now. So Hebrews chapter four says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's the same Greek word there, splagnizomai. We have a high priest, Jesus, who sympathizes and enters into our weaknesses. So when you are fearful, lonely, overwhelmed, grieving, know that Jesus is there with you. He he wants to enter into that with you. That's one of the reasons why he put on flesh, so that he could come and to be God with us. God became flesh so he could sympathize. Second reason is God became flesh so that he could sacrifice. We'll go back again to Philippians 2.8. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then a throwback to Romans chapter 8. So I know in the course of this year studying Romans, I heard from a number of you, Romans 8 is my my favorite. This is Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that's our flesh, could not do. So we could not be obedient to the law. 
in and of ourselves by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So God took on flesh to free us from our flesh that drags us into what God would not have us do, to, to not to drag us into sin. He's freeing us from being dragged into sin. I like to acknowledge every now and then when we talk about this that I know sin is not a popular word in our culture and that there are a lot of people who, who say, you know, that's really antiquated, really doesn't apply to me. I just, I live by my own rules and, you know, and I'm fine. But I would just suggest to you that, that God's standard for sin is something that really deep down we, we all want because God knows that sin separates us. Sin, cause, sin causes separation. It causes separation between God and us, first of all, and it causes separation between one another. And so God's laws are there in place to, to say, I want, you to, I want you to love each other. I want you to get along with each other. You and I don't want a world where sin is just tolerated because sin is the, the root cause of all of the, the destruction that we see, the people, people bombing each other, people hurting each other, wounding each other, um, aside from the fact that, that he knows that worshiping him first and foremost, above anything else, frees us from self. We, we get absorbed in ourselves and what we want, and, and worshiping God frees us from all of that. So in Romans 8, we find that God has done in, in Christ what we could not do. Jesus took on flesh to free us from our flesh that drags us into sin. Um, Tim Keller made an insightful point. Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City before he died uh, this year, actually. Um, and he made an insightful point about how the coming of Jesus really shows how great our need is. He, he said, the all-accepting God of love that many modern people believe in would never have bothered with the incarnation I mean, if God were just, if God just said, hey, I love you so much, I, I understand that life is hard and whatever you did that doesn't measure up to my standard, I understand we'll just look the other way and just kind of sweep it under, under the rug. That all accepting God of love, there's, there's no reason to come in the incarnation. And there's, there's certainly no reason to die on, on a cross. So really, Jesus coming was a statement by God of saying, you guys cannot figure this out for yourselves, which I think is pretty evident, you know, by now. So, so he came so that he could provide us with the, the solution. If God were loving and not holy, he could look the other way from our sin. But... 
God is loving and holy. And so, so the incarnation was his genius solution to be able to solve the problems of, of humanity by becoming human himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, it's for our sake that he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became, he took on flesh so that he could take on our sin, so that he could exchange that sin and our fallenness and our guilt for, for righteousness, so he could become the righteousness of God. God became flesh so he could sympathize and so he could sacrifice. So this morning, whatever, whatever grief you are going through, whatever loss you have experienced, maybe it's a loss of a loved one, maybe it's a loss of, of a job, loss of a house. I mean, there's all kinds of losses that we experience. Whatever grief you're experiencing, know that Jesus sympathizes with you and that you can sit in his presence, even in the midst, and maybe especially in the midst of this season when everybody else seems like they're so happy, or at least they look that way on, on the outside. You, you may sit with, with Jesus, and as a friend of mine mentioned, to, to sit with him in the ashes. He's, he enters into that with us. Whatever guilt you might be going through, whatever you might be carrying in the way of sin, maybe you're ready to acknowledge, yeah, God, I, I've blown it. I see how the world has blown it, and I've blown it, and I, I need your forgiveness for, for what I've done. Know that God in Jesus sacrificed for you so that all of that can be washed away. Whatever you are going through, Jesus came. He came to be with you. And so now the invitation is for you to join him. And so join him in your grief. Join him in your guilt. We're going to have one more song here. And you can come during the song or you can come after the song. You actually don't have to walk up anywhere at all. You can just call on Jesus from where you are, but sometimes it's helpful to, to come and talk with somebody and to pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for caring for us enough, even as broken and fallen as we are. Thank you for caring enough to send your son to be born and to live, and to teach, and to do miracles, and then to die, but then to be raised again, and to be ascended to, to your right hand. Jesus, thank you for, for the amazing plan of incarnation, and thank you for your love. Thank you that you sympathize with us. You don't remain, you didn't remain at a distance. You came and entered into our experience, and you do that still today. So Lord, I pray for the person right now who's grieving, who's in almost inconsolable grief. Lord, may they know that you are able to enter into that 
with them and may they invite you into that and experience you in a way they never have before. And I pray, Lord, for the person here this morning who is under a weight of guilt and is desperate to get out from under it. Lord, may they turn that over to you as well, Jesus, because you've paid the price and made it possible for that to be washed away. Lord, may you, may you do a work in people's hearts here this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.